0: If there's going to be one, it's going to be non-commercial and it's going to require major public investment backed by the organizing and coalition building that'll take to make it happen. Journalism is a public good. It's essential to building the vibrant multiracial democracy we need and we need solutions that are designed to meet community information needs and amplify new voices, not further entrench failing business models and the status quo.
1: That's Craig Aaron, and this is Alternative Radio. I'm David Barsamyan. This edition of AR features Craig Aaron on the future of media. The digital age has transformed the traditional media landscape. The so-called fourth estate is reeling. Thousands of journalists have lost their jobs. Newsrooms have shrunk. Beats have been eliminated. Bureaus have closed. Many important stories are given short shrift or not covered at all. Investigative journalism may soon be an endangered species. City Hall and State House coverage has been particularly hard hit. Large parts of the country are served by one or no local newspapers. Internet giants like Facebook and Google swimming in cash, run stories from hard-working reporters without offering fair compensation. It's a brutal scene. An uninformed or half-informed citizenry undermines democracy. Craig Aaron of Free Press warns there are incredibly important decisions being made in Washington that shape the future of media. But they're being done without the public's involvement or consent. Our guest today is Craig Aaron, director of the Free Press, a nonprofit organization dedicated to safeguarding net neutrality, defend public media, and sustain quality journalism. His articles have appeared in the Columbia Journalism Review, The Guardian, and The Progressive. And now, Craig Aaron.
0: I think that we've been taught for far too long that the media is just something that happens to us, that we're a captive audience powerless to change it. And if I can share anything today with you, it's that that's not true. We can really must shape the media's future to meet our needs, to build that foundation for a multiracial democracy, to reckon with our past and to chart a different and more just future. I I used to give this talk, which seems kind of appropriate for our Sunday school setting here, uh, riffing on the ideas of the community organizer and observer Marshall Gans, who reminds us often in his work about the United Farm Workers that David wins sometimes, uh, that the Goliaths, those scary giants, can still be felled by slingshots. And in my experience of the last 20 years or so, it's true, we do win sometimes. And in my time doing this work at Free Press, we've stopped big mergers, we've beaten big media companies in court, we've worked to create thousands of new low power FM community radio stations. We've made the issue of net neutrality, the rules that safeguard the free and open internet, a national issue. Uh, just this year, we convinced Congress to com- commit $65 billion, with a B, billion, toward closing the digital divide. We're poised any day now to have some of the most progressive commissioners in history appointed to the Federal Communications Commission and the Federal Trade Commission. And I can say all that, be proud of all that, knowing that those giants, those Goliaths keep coming, they keep rising up, and they keep morphing into new and frightening forms. Any clear-eyed look at this moment in media history, despite all those accomplishments, has to admit that things look pretty bleak. If David wins sometimes, right now it doesn't feel like we're really winning. Our local media is in a death spiral, and it's threatening to take democracy with it. And look, I don't want to pretend that the good old days for media were all that good, because they certainly weren't, especially if you were a Black person, or a poor person, or a dissident, or an immigrant. But the continued disappearance of local media watchdogs alongside the weaponization of disinformation means we're living right now at a particularly harrowing moment. And the corporate media's incentive structures, whether we're talking about TV and radio ratings or clicks for newspapers or engagement on social media, they simply do not serve the public interest. The corporate executives shaping the news aren't looking out for you. As former CBS chairman Les Moonves infamously said, Donald Trump may be bad for America, but he's damn good for us. Fox News is far and away the nation's most influential outlet. And according to research by Harvard, it has become the primary, quote, transmission vector of widespread conspiracy theories. Facebook's whole business model is to encourage the content that is the most divisive. And they've gotten intertwined in this symbiotic relationship where Facebook tests the messages, the worst messages and misinformation, and then Fox supplies the megaphone. That has us living through what the World Health Organization has called an infodemic of misinformation and disinformation. The corporate media is literally killing us Hundreds of thousands of preventable deaths are happening while they allow lies to spread because they attract eyeballs and they make piles and piles of money. So there is good reason to be angry. And looking at our media landscape, it is easy to get discouraged, even hopeless. But I'm not. I'm not hopeless. And as I talk to people and see what's happening in, in little corners all over the country. I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic even because as the failures of our media system are exposed and they are very much on display right now, the glimmers of a different system, the lights on an alternative path are coming into view. There are seeds being planted throughout this country for a different media future, pebbles being collected to fill those slingshots that will take down the media giants. You you might have to squint through the current media hellscape to see them, but I promise they are there. People are making new outlets to tell the stories that have gone untold for too long. They're connecting across geography and difference in ways that were once unthinkable, and are realizing that the future of the media is not inevitable And we can still do something about it. One such glimmer of hope, one little seedling, which is the work that Free Press has been doing in New Jersey for the past few years. Um, So I want to invite you briefly on a trip with me to the Garden State. New Jersey is the 11th biggest state. It's an incredibly diverse state. It's very rich and also very poor being sandwiched between new york and philadelphia it's vastly underserved by the media no tv stations are focused exclusively on covering new jersey and its newspapers have been devastated by consolidation and cutbacks back in 2015 free press started the news voices project in new jersey as a way to bring communities into a conversation with newsrooms about the future of local news We were experimenting through outreach and facilitated conversations about what it could look like to actually try to build a popular constituency behind transforming local news. Through that work, we began to build up a statewide network of community organizations, activists, students, journalists, and other local leaders. And as we were doing that work, as we were going all through the state of New Jersey, this maybe once in a lifetime opportunity presented itself. The state of New Jersey at the time owned a set of public television station licenses and they were going to sell them back to the government in an FCC auction to give more spectrum to the cell phone companies. And at the time people were saying the state might net an upward of a billion dollars. From selling these TV stations. And they ended up getting more than $300 million. We saw this money coming into the state just as we were beginning to build this network of people who really cared about reimagining local news in the middle of this crisis. So we launched a campaign arguing that the proceeds from the sale of the state's TV licenses should actually be reinvested back into public interest media specifically using that money to meet the needs of underserved and uncovered communities in the state we drafted some legislation called the civic info bill to support local journalism we met with leaders we talked to journalists and the heads of influential organizations and it failed we didn't get it the republican governor at the time chris christie took the money and he used it to pay for other things and while $10 million did go to established public media outlets. Any funding for new projects was ultimately deep-sixed in a backroom deal. It was so frustrating, but we kept coming back the next year and the year after. We kept organizing and holding community meetings across the state. We got local residents involved, and we spent hours in the hallways of the New Jersey Statehouse just to grab a few minutes with legislators as they walked by, literally lobbying. So I think the only time I've ever done it, standing in a lobby just to talk for a few minutes. When we began getting meetings with representatives in the legislature, every single one of them ended with lawmakers saying, there's no way this is going to happen. There's no way government is gonna fund local news. There's no way people are actually going to care about this. But their phones kept ringing. Thousands of New Jersey residents took action in support of this idea of the civic info bill. They joined community forums, they signed petitions, they called their lawmakers. They even went and testified in front of state committees and lobbied in the state house. And at the same time, they started trying to tell the story to journalists and editors and the traditional media. And they kept saying the same thing. There is no way you're going to get the state to dedicate this money. But it turned out, and maybe simply because they didn't believe it was going to happen, there was really little or no organized opposition to what we were trying to do. And everywhere we went, we saw the hunger from everyday people to do something about the loss of local news in their communities, to tell different stories, the true stories about what was happening there. People in New Jersey responded to this idea and they showed up at meetings and they turned out to talk to their legislators about it. And we built momentum and it worked. And in 2018, the state legislature actually passed the Civic Info Bill in a bipartisan fashion with bipartisan co-sponsors. And it created a new nonprofit institution called the New Jersey Civic Information Consortium, which is now overseen by an independent bipartisan board made up of representatives from five New Jersey universities and others, including one representative from Free Press who are appointed by legislative leaders and the governor. Now, seven years ago, this was just a concept being kicked around my office. We just made it up. Uh, We took this idea, we turned it into a legislative proposal. We lobbied and built that bipartisan support. We held events in every county in the state. We passed the bill. We got the funding. We lost the funding. in in internal fighting within the Democratic Party in New Jersey, we got it back. And last year, the first five hundred thousand dollars in grants, not the hundred million we asked for in the first place, but still the first five hundred thousand dollars in grants went out to 14 different New Jersey community news gathering organizations, giving them at least thirty five thousand dollars toward their work and a second increased round of funding with additional funds approved by the state is now underway and will hopefully go out again this spring. This is a small project, but I think it's a big deal because it represents the first new public investment in media in decades. It prioritizes serving low-income communities and communities of color, immigrants and rural residents, the people who mainstream corporate media have neglected And those are the communities that we worked with to actually make it happen. Uh, I think, and we believe at Free Press that the Civic Info Consortium can be a model for other states and federal policies to finally begin addressing this crisis in journalism. And I think just as importantly, it shows what can be accomplished when you combine some creative policymaking, some old fashioned organizing, a lot of tenacity and a little bit of luck. I don't know that it will happen exactly the same way in other places, the recipe would need its own local flavors, but the basic ingredients are probably the same. Some startup funds to support dedicated organizing capacity, a community outreach plan, finding some key legislative champions, amplifying the voices of people doing the work to tell their stories about their communities, and that willingness to keep showing up and keep showing up even when doors are closed in your face. A few million dollars like we have in New Jersey will not solve all the problems facing journalism in that state or the rest of America. But it's a first step toward expanding what's possible, expanding that all too narrow definition of what's possible that tends to dictate our policy choices. And while the consortium isn't perfect or enough yet, it exists. It shows what's possible. It shows that we can keep building. And it shows, I think, that public funds absolutely must be part of the answer to solving the journalism crisis, to actually getting communities the information that we need. The problems we face when it comes to local news, to the tens of thousands of reporting jobs that have disappeared to the destruction caused by runaway media consolidation this hate and lie for profit model pervading talk radio and cable tv and social media we need to fix so much more than seems possible right now we have to start building out some of these impossible ideas and starting to make them happen you know there's the uh the famous quote, uh, the Queen told Alice in Wonderland, you know, sometimes I've believed as many as six impossible things before breakfast. Well, I'm gonna throw in here with our time we have left and maybe give us a few more to consider before lunch. I'd like to start by talking about how we can and should recreate the civic info bill approach in other places, maybe here in Kansas City or in Missouri. There are bills studying already how we can support journalism that have passed in Massachusetts and Illinois. There's a move for public funding underway in California. We could do this everywhere. With a federal investment, even better, of a few billion dollars, you could build out, streamline, and sustain this model in every state, all 50 states, and pair federal dollars, uh, which are not nearly as limited as state budgets, with state funds and contributions from private philanthropy building a a network of state civic info funds in all 50 states uh, would create a mandate to fund local journalism and civic technology projects so this is about the news but it's not just about the news we have to think about what is the information that people need to live their best and healthiest lives you know that definitely includes good news coverage and holding government leaders accountable and corporate leaders accountable But sometimes it also includes, you know, where do I get a COVID test? Where do I get a mask? What do I do if my landlord is ripping me off? You know, these kinds of basic kinds of information, access to government resources, different kinds of health and safety issues. These are all information and media problems to solve, and we need to find new ways to do them. And, you know, with enough funding, we can put an emphasis on efforts to reach Low income communities that have never been served by the traditional media, communities of color, immigrant communities, rural residents. Now, look, it's easy for me to come here on Sunday morning and say, you know, just give me a few billion dollars. But the reality, as someone who watches Congress and is here near Washington, is that there are trillions of dollars out there. They're just, and they're being spent on economic stimulus, recovery, infrastructure. Right now, and you don't even get me started on the Pentagon budget and how much is being spent there. The bottom line is there's just there's no good reason that our information needs shouldn't be part of it. If you scale the kind of approach we're experimenting with in New Jersey, you could seed a new non-commercial local media infrastructure that's actually built from the ground up and designed to meet community needs not just the whims of Wall Street or short-term profits, which are the incentives that are driving our media right now. There's so many smarter ways to pay for it. Uh, the money is out there, but you know, my colleague, Tim Carr, and I have also proposed placing a small tax on online targeted advertising that could produce billions in revenue that we could reinvest in local news. Uh, the idea, basically, you should think of it like, an anti-pollution tax, though in this case, it would be dedicated to cleaning up the damage done to our news ecosystem and social discourse. Those massively profitable platforms like Google and Facebook, they benefit from this targeted advertising model that is being used not only to try to sell you again what you bought on Amazon yesterday, but we know to spread lies, to spread propaganda with tremendous social costs and serious journalism should and could be an antidote to that misinformation, but it's in the middle of an existential crisis, even though its production, its distribution have these tremendous economic and democratic benefits, whether you pay for it or not. We think taxing ads, taxing online targeted advertising would be a way to begin to right this imbalance. So for example, if you put a 2% 2% tax on all online enterprises that earn more than $200 million in digital ad revenue. So we're talking about the big guys here. That could yield about $1.8 billion a year that we could devote to local news. It would really go a long way. Now, some my friends will argue that even that's not enough. When, you know I'm talking in the ones in two billions that we, we got to think even bigger to meet the scale of this problem. My mentor, uh, Professor Bob McChesney of the University of Illinois, has advocated for spending $40 billion a year on local journalism to bring us in line with the kind of spending that was happening back in two centuries ago and, and, and closer to the founding of this country. He has an elaborate plan and set of ideas that he recently outlined in the Columbia Journalism Review, calling for a huge public investment controlled by the public uh, for actually building a system to allow you to vote locally to decide how the share of that money should be allocated in your community, where outlets, nonprofit outlets, could get on a ballot, uh, multiple outlets, uh, and you could rank them and choose how the money should be distributed based on uh, the news and information that you think your community needs. It's it's a really big and bold idea and absolutely the kind of debate We should be having it's a folly to continue to cling to this idea that private industry alone is going to create a viable business model for journalism the realities of the journalism crisis the deep community needs we can see they call for a major new investment in public media focused on local news gathering and you know as we record this conversation for community radio for public media i I do want to emphasize just how scandalous it is how little we spend in the united states to support our public media Uh, when we're talking about federal dollars it works out to maybe a dollar fifty per capita per year that will barely get you a cup of coffee these days and other leading democracies Frankly, democracies that rank higher in all the international measures of a highly functioning democracy, they're spending 50, 80, 100 times more, whether that's in Japan or Germany or the Scandinavian countries, to support and sustain a broader public media system. Unfortunately, the leaders of the US public media system at places like PBS and NPR have largely been absent from the debates that we're having right now in Washington over recovery and infrastructure, let alone you know, really wrestling with the serious proposals to rescue local journalism. And, and I'm sympathetic to them. I'm sympathetic to folks who've worked in public media and community media and who've had again and again, year after year, they have to fend off cuts and attacks on what they do and all this pressure put on the kind of content they're sharing. But the reality is that for way too long, they've basically been bringing a tote bag to a knife fight. And we need to start demanding more support, uh, organizing to really invest in the public media system we need. As a start, we should be asking to immediately double annual federal appropriations for public media and specifically redirect it to the community level down to local stations, local news gathering operations focused on communities that haven't been well served by the mainstream media or by traditional public media. If we're going to have any hope of building an equitable and just media system that meets the needs of everyone here in the United States, we need to reckon with the history of how we got the media system we have, to understand it, to understand who it was designed to serve. And that was mainly white folks, rich people, now big corporations. Uh, A group of my colleagues are working on a project called Media 2070, the Media Reparations Project. And they've written extensively about the US media's racist history, which is visible everywhere from the runaway slave ads placed in newspapers by George Washington, all the way up to present-day coverage of the Black Lives Matter movement. Media 2070 is sparking crucial conversations about what it would look like not just to apologize for what happened in the past, as some newspapers have started to do, but to take actions, change policy, and dedicate funds to actually repair it. Some of this work uh, is gonna start with changing how we cover and who covers and tries to speak for black and brown communities. The whole process, the whole way we cover criminal justice or the criminal legal system needs to be deeply re-examined uh, from who's setting the news agenda to who determines what news, what's newsworthy to whose voices and experiences are actually centered in the coverage instead of just mug shots and police blotters and the if it bleeds it leads approach that has dominated news especially but not exclusively tv news for so long we need to build beats that focus on the communities that have been impacted by systematic marginalization we need to focus on covering stories about how to keep people safe and healthy And we need beats that help people navigate the criminal legal system, access social services, and better understand their rights. These are all things we can build and create. Uh, Right now in Philadelphia, Free Press uh, is part of a project with a network of local allies there called Shift the Narrative, where we're working with residents and journalists, including at major outlets like the Philadelphia Inquirer, to build new power within communities, to change whose stories are told in local media about crime and the police and the way journalists approach these stories and how they treat official sources and how they talk to neighborhoods that have been affected by crime uh, and and all of the above. The sooner that journalists uh, acknowledge and come around to this idea that the, the crime beat as currently practiced needs to go the sooner we can begin acknowledging and repairing hundreds and hundreds of years of harms. Reimagining how newsrooms approach this coverage of criminal legal and prison systems uh, allows us to move in a different way with communities whose perspectives have been systematically excluded from local news coverage. And this work to reckon with our past isn't just about the legacy media institutions themselves, though they have plenty to do. We also need to look at the government uh, and its own need to reckon with the history of violence and intimidation and censorship of black journalists and the black press to account for the federal actions that created the media system we have today. Like who was standing in line when broadcast licenses were handed out a hundred years ago continuing to profit off the public airwaves? Who's benefited from all the mergers and tax breaks and special favors that have cemented so much media power in so few hands? Late last year, uh, 25 members of the House of Representatives, led by Rep. Jamal Bowman in New York, along with uh, more than 100 civil rights and digital rights organizations, uh, signed a letter written by the Media 2070 team at Free Press calling on the new leadership at the Federal Communications Commission to formally study how the agency's policy choices and actions have harmed Black people and other communities of color. We need to understand this history if we're going to forge a different future, and the new leadership coming on to the Biden administration can follow the lead of of the executive orders and other things this administration has put out there uh, to actually go in and say, hey, Let's take a clear look at how we got the system we have today, really dedicate resources to understanding it. That's going to help us make better policy choices, fairer, more just policy choices in the future. I will say one key thing there is we need a full FCC in place to be able to carry that out. And unfortunately, there's a lot of obstructionism happening in Washington right now, preventing the final member of the FCC from taking her place at the agency Uh, And who a woman named Gigi Sohn, who actually is a a longtime progressive and activist and advocate for better media, Uh, getting her in place and getting the Senate to move forward on that nomination is definitely needs to be one of our short term priorities.
1: You're listening to Craig Aaron on the future of media. This is Independent Alternative Radio. To get copies of this program, just call us at one 800 triple four, one nine seven seven. Again, that number is one 800, triple four, one nine seven seven, or go online, our website, org. That's dot alternativeradio.org.
0: I sort of uh, drift here for a minute into what's happening right now in Washington, D.C., where I have the, the fortune or, or maybe misfortune of spending so much of my time and This has been such an interesting moment here in Washington during the pandemic to talk about media policy because there's been more debate and discussion of the future of journalism by policymakers here than at any time in a decade, maybe ever. There's truly more interest in Washington and in the states about what to do about this crisis in journalism because legislators have seen the impact on their ability to reach their own constituents for news to even get home about what they're doing. The current draft of the Build Back Better bill being pushed by the Biden administration does include significant tax breaks for hiring and retaining journalism jobs, which might help keep a few more reporters on the job and a few more newspapers on your doorsteps for a little while longer. But really, it's a bridge and a a pretty rickety bridge to the kinds of transformative change and major investments that communities really need. And unfortunately, in, here in D.C., the dominant players in these debates are still the biggest companies in their trade associations. That's the who's calling the shots, even after their long record of failure, their failure to serve community needs, their destruction of local news from consolidation and corporate greed, after all the threats to public health and a functioning democracy by major media outlets spreading lies and hoaxes still right now, the Rupert Murdochs and the hedge fund vultures and the K Street lobbyists, the people who've created this mess we're in hold most of the political influence. And that's why so many of the policy solutions that actually advance and are put forward end up being designed to prop up what we used to have rather than what we actually need. I think that quality journalism is gonna be an essential ingredient in any effective treatment for what ails our democracy and research shows that special interest groups get their way in votes when there's not public attention. Less journalism means fewer benefits come back to local districts. It absolutely and clearly means more corruption at every level. So we can't continue to respond to this crisis with a collective shrug or the vague hope that some new business model is going to emerge to save us. The stakes are too high. And as long as our congressional efforts are focused on propping up existing institutions, we won't save, let alone reinvent and reimagine local journalism. The reality, and it's really been the reality for a long time, is that a new miracle business model isn't going to save us. The future of quality local news, if there's going to be one, is going to be non-commercial, and it's going to require a major public investment backed by the organizing and coalition building that will take to make it happen. Journalism is a public good. It's essential to building the vibrant multiracial democracy we need, and we need solutions that are designed to meet community information needs and amplify new voices, not further entrench failing business models and the status quo. Larger social movements are forcing newsrooms and every institution to reckon with their past, and there's also been a shift in journalism toward more community engagement, more community-centered journalism. We need to get policies in place to match those new innovations, those new opportunities. That's part of our work right now is to bring together local innovators into a collective talking seriously about media power to get the people shaping the future of journalism a seat at the table alongside or instead of those big commercial news outlets setting the agenda. As i move to close here i have to acknowledge you know even 20 years into this fight for me that we are i believe probably still closer to the beginning of this fight than the end and we're still marching in the face of really strong headwinds what's clearer than ever to me is that the people that got us into this mess are definitely not going to be the ones to get us out of it the answers are going to have to come from local communities local communities like yours who are advocating for bolder action. The kind of change we need in our media can feel impossible right now, but we have to give ourselves the permission to dream of a different and better media system. Too much of our work, even in my world, the media tech policy world, has been tinkering around the edges, propping up the old structures, or just lamenting their demise. There's a lot of talk about news deserts and all that we've lost, but too little talk about what could bloom out of the wreckage, what that lush, fantastically local rainforest of local media could be. We have to imagine and reimagine how we would fund and produce and distribute and consume news if we could hit a reset button and build the just, equitable, informative, entertaining, sustainable news media from the ground up. What's worth saving? What needs to be reinvented? Who's missing from the conversation? What would it look like to start over? We got to keep dreaming and reimagining and experimenting so we can start rebuilding, start demonstrating change as possible, start showing what the alternatives look like through experiments like what we did in New Jersey, start making concrete progress that people can see directly benefiting their lives. Once people know that media isn't just something that happens to them. Once their voices are included, once the media is something they can influence and change and create themselves, they will fight for it. It's true, they really will. And when that happens, that's how the impossible becomes a reality. I'm gonna pause there uh, with thanks again for having me this morning. I've talked a really long time. Uh, I appreciate everyone being here to listen. Uh, and I'd love to hear your questions, your ideas, and and talk together. Wonderful. Thanks, Craig, very much. Richard Thompson is the first one with a question. How many years did it take you to go through the government uh, in the state of New Jersey and uh, get that, that funding? It, it took us about four years from concept to passage of the bill. I would say it was somewhat accelerated by because of this FCC auction and the notion that the state was taking in you know millions of new dollars, so there was this sort of influx of money that was unique to New Jersey and, and kind of gave us a spark at the beginning. Even though those aren't the funds they ultimately decided to invest, um, but it took us. It it took us about that long. And then honestly, a couple more years, two more years to actually get them to release the money, (laughs) uh, which is one of the tricks, like we actually passed the bill. And then strangely the governor, even the democratic governor who came in, uh, found it hard to find uh, the money within the budget, even though it had been allocated by the legislature. So we had to keep advocating for them to release the funds though they finally done so. And now there is essentially a regular item in the budget um, that uh, was was approved again, and hopefully will come be approved again this July. Um, but that's that was sort of from initial concept was probably in late 2014. Uh, the bill passed in 2018, and the first checks were handed out in 2021. Wonderful, Craig Voland. Did, did I pronounce your name correctly?
1: Uh, in Kansas, uh, there a a new electronic outlet called the Kansas Reflector has popped up. And they're part of, a, I think, a nationwide uh, nonprofit network. There's a similar uh, outlet in Missouri with a different name. And um, a lot of the really good reporters that got cut from some of the uh, local newspapers ended up there. It's been a real blessing to the Sierra Club's work on environmental issues. How does such a nonprofit network fit into what you're talking about Is it an interim solution? Or, uh, or do you know anything about
0: it? Yeah, I, I think I do. And the Institute for Nonprofit News uh, has built out support across a the network. There, there are amazing local nonprofits starting up in communities all across the country. And the challenge has often been that the people starting them are are often committed journalists. So they they you know been sort of working hard in a newsroom, wanted to cover things in a different way, and they're really focused on their coverage, which is what you want journalists to do. But the the finances to sustain and pay a living wage to others and build the support has been more challenging so from where i sit this is the answer like we're not commercial news is not going to provide the news that we need the incentives are, are structured completely wrong. We're, we're going to have to come up with non-commercial alternatives but to make them viable, we're going to need a lot more money. So I, I think these the emerging networks and there are some great great local examples are the experiments that prove the need in many ways. And so the more we can do and initially it's going to be with our own dollars you know just like supporting our friends here at Kkfi like we, we're going to have to step up to demonstrate the kind of coverage that's possible. But, you know, for example, in the state of New Jersey, where, you know, we didn't get a lot of coverage from the commercial media, such as it was, and even, you know, traditional public media was somewhat resistant to us. You know, there was a startup called the New Jersey Spotlight that actually covered the legislative fight we were in, and they did the best coverage. I've worked some with a great group in West Virginia, Mountain State Spotlight, uh, run by a Pulitzer Prize-winning reporter used to be at the Charleston Gazette, now doing his own thing. And on and on and on, there are some... Some great examples we just we need as many of them as possible like what's actually I think going to serve us and actually meet local needs are multiple local competing sources covering uh, different communities, different slices of communities and that you know my argument essentially is to have those outlets and see them thrive is going to take real public investment and it's going to take a restructuring of our policies. And the institutions that have been built to support public media to actually focus on the kind of local news gathering that's so essential to having a functioning democracy. And, you know, not as much on the kinds of coverage that, you know, attract the high level dollar donors and the corporate underwriters and things like that that have even influenced our our public media system. Right. Phyllis Westover, please.
1: All right, Um, thanks for your encouragement that there's something we can do. One of the things that disturbs me most and I think is our greatest need when it comes to media is getting rid of misinformation. And I am greatly concerned that not only uh, is our democracy being undermined by lies, propaganda, but that uh, nothing seems to be there to penalize media to any great extent that propagate this misinformation what can we do
0: yeah it's a great question thank you and I, I mean i certainly agree that we are in a really harrowing moment for misinformation and disinformation you know as i talked about i mean it is it is literally killing people there are obviously limits in what we can do. Some of them rest on the First Amendment or even that we'd want to do. But uh, there is no First Amendment right to endless amplification um, from corporate media outlets. These companies need to feel the pressure. Uh, I think Spotify in some ways is feeling it right now over the kinds of things uh, that that it's spreading. I, I believe that investing in local journalism and non-commercial outlets can be an antidote to the, to that misinformation. It's not everything. Uh, we need media literacy. We need, you know, to look at the structures of the internet and, and how we're, we're getting the information that we need. But, uh, you know, one of our ideas is, is of course that these companies should be being taxed um, for all the, you know, wealth they're extracting uh, out of these communities. And we should be reinvesting that in alternative sources of information and local journalism controlled by the public. Uh, I mean, we've left so many of these choices in the hands of corporate executives who have shown they're completely unequipped to deal with it, that they're not even asking the right kind of questions from, from, from Mark Zuckerberg on down. And it has literally put our democracy, you know, at the brink. Um, which, in our democracy, we had a lot of work to do anyway. I see some of my old friends, I see Tom Clammer here. I see David Barsamian here, <laughs> uh, uh, important media critics who, for a long time, will remind us it wasn't that good before either we we had we've had a lot of problems for a really long time, but it it is the the speed at which the disinformation can spread now. and our ability to unpack the incentives that these companies have and why they do it there is right now all their incentives are just engagement 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 if i can keep your eyeballs for something you like but well, great if it's something that makes you angry if it's something you hate even better as long as it keeps the keeps your eyeballs on our site so we can push ads to you and you know we have to disrupt that there are larger societal forces that play here but at the very least, we can demand different kinds of accountability and, frankly, make these companies pay for a bunch of the mess that they've created. That's where I'd start. The next person is Greg Swartz. Why not use the KKFI
1: model to, to accomplish what you want to accomplish rather than spending a lot of time going through politics and all that sort of thing uh, to get some money? Uh, uh, what I see is... Uh, a successful model
0: in KKFI. Sure. Look, my goal is how do we make it bigger? How do we make it more robust? I want to see a major federal investment in public and non-commercial media. So my goal here is how does KKFI thrive? And you know, certainly it is wonderful to have donations. Look, I run a nonprofit organization that relies on grants and the donations of individuals. And uh, I'm, I'm very grateful for all that support when we're talking about the fundamental creation of the kind of information we need to actually have a functioning democracy, my argument is we just need a lot more resources. And, you know, how do we make KKFI with its huge, I mean, really huge signal, uh, how do we make it reach that many more people? How do we make sure that everything it does is spreading on the internet in the ways that it should? How do we, you know, not only have tremendous volunteers, but pay people more, pay people a living wage to do the job of being a radio producer and being a journalist and all these other, you know, democracy sustaining jobs that we need people to be able to do all the time. That's my argument. So I think it is in many ways, the KKFI model or the Pacifica model or on down the road, um, but really with an emphasis on one, a lot more resources, because we're spending the money on other things. So like, this is my argument. My argument is we are spending trillions and trillions of dollars on things that we don't even question. And yet we are starving our community media institutions who have been unbelievable in figuring out how to get around (laughs) the obstacles thrown in front of them. But we need a lot more money. And when I look around at where that money is gonna come from, in a collapsing media system, you know, where newspapers are barely hanging on and maybe broadcast TV is to follow. The only answer that I can find that's viable is new Mm -hmm. forms of public support at a much higher level uh, and new forms of local control and input in a way that hasn't existed before. I think that's the combination and I don't think it is a, a, hopefully a replacement for great work happening, thanks to all of you at KKFI and these other outlets, but hopefully if it can be an enhancement, a broadening, a flowering, if you will, of, of, of many more alternatives and options actually meeting community needs. That's, that, that's the goal. So I think those things work together. Michael Duffy.
1: Yes, yeah, so even assuming all the new public resources that you're hoping to get come about, is there any reason to put these resources into local newspapers?
0: Is there a future for that, or should the resources just go into local radio and internet, local media outlets? Yeah, that's a great. Thank you for that question. Uh, I, I'm torn. Uh, I think you know if we're talking about print, I mean, no, I'm sorry, and I I get this the Sunday Sunday paper hits my doorstep still in paper, and I enjoy that, but uh, that's not going to be the future. Um, I do see value in some places in the institutional memory uh, and the, frankly, the hardworking functioning newsroom. I've never been in a newsroom, even the, with the worst corporate owner where there weren't some good journalists <laughs> trying to do good work. Um, that's who I'm interested in supporting. So I think that it, it is not going to be achieved, however, by simply propping up what we used to have or investing solely in an established media brand or institution. For many reasons, but, you know, a lot of them, including, you know, I didn't get into this work back in the, you know, late 90s and early 2000s because the mainstream corporate media was doing a really good job. Uh, You know, you know, a lot of us who, you know, the media reform movement, such as it is, you know, it was the failures or the run up to the Iraq war that motivated a lot of people to come out and say, we can't, you know, have it anymore. And that was long before Facebook and all these problems. So I think. Our legacy uh, institutions, especially if they are uh, owned, family owned, independently owned, absolutely need to have a path. Uh, I think we should, in fact, incentivize them to go nonprofit uh, or you know, go into forms of community accountability and ownership. I think that's true for the hedge fund owned newspapers too. I think we should, uh, sometimes I think we should buy out the hedge funds to return these properties to local ownership and local control. So for me, it's really all about a diversity of local ownership. And I'm a little bit agnostic on exactly what the technology is, uh, because there are reasons to still put things on paper sometimes. Um, but ultimately anything we're building and investing in has to be forward looking. And that means adapting to the changing way that people are, you know, engaging with news and information. And while radio has a huge role to play, while you know print still creates revenue for some of these institutions, you know, the reality is it's our, you know, it's our phones and it's uh, YouTube and it's all these other, you know, online activities. And we can talk about, you know, democratizing the Internet and reclaiming the Internet is something worth saving. Um, but, yeah, that, I guess that would sort of be my answer. My problem with a lot of the existing legislation right now in Congress is it's really focused on sort of propping up newspaper institutions, Uh, even the institutions that have been taken over by hedge funds who have no interest in actually serving local communities or covering what's happening there. So I wanna see us invest in newsrooms, in the workers in newsrooms, and encourage them to use all the technologies to get their word and stories out. Jeff Hempfeld. Yes, uh, what
1: kind of news outlets are being funded in New Jersey and um, who's determining how those funds are spent?
0: Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Great question. Um, so in terms of determining who's how the funds are spent, so the state appropriated uh, this money. I think it's now like $1.5 million. And there's an independent board that has been set up uh, and is actually contained in the legislation. It, so it includes uh, representatives appointed by a bunch of the state's universities, as well as appointees from the legislature and the governor. So. Uh, Right now, it's a mix. There are some uh, philanthropy folks, people who uh, were involved, a former head of the Dodge Foundation in New Jersey is the current chair. Uh, My colleague, Mike Raspoli from Free Press sits on the board. Actually, Juan Gonzalez of Democracy Now and formerly of the New York Daily News sits on the board. He now teaches at Rutgers. He's actually the Rutgers representative. Um, So there's a there's a set of individuals. So they get together. There's a grants committee, an application process. And they handed out the grants. You know, right now this initial wave are relatively small grants. They were like thirty-five thousand dollars grants, and they went to a series of projects, essentially hyper-local projects in fourteen different communities across New Jersey. Uh, many of them new startups, like we were talking about before. Uh, they didn't go to uh, uh, the uh, you know established traditional outlets, though so they're not excluded from applying. And the idea is that it's supposed to be a project that partners. The universities with these local outlets to cover stories that otherwise would go uncovered. But they're really amazing local projects happening in places like Newark and Atlantic City and elsewhere, you know, doing a different kind of storytelling. And and we'll hopefully have a report out uh, here in a couple months, really getting into some details about what that support uh, made possible. But I want to give our speaker an opportunity for any brief final comment. It's such a pleasure to. Be able to be here and talk at such length uh if you're interested in the work that we do at free press i hope you'll visit freepress.net uh lots of information about the active campaigns we're running ways to get involved and support this work and uh i just hope that uh, next time we do this we'll be able to do it in person but really do appreciate everyone taking all this time uh, to be here this morning
1: you were just listening to craig aaron on the future of media Craig Aaron is the director of Free Press. This program is produced by Alternative Radio based in Boulder, Colorado. We are an independent nonprofit in our 36th year. We're supported solely by individuals just like you. We feature such progressive voices as Roger Hallam, Roxanne Dunbar-Ortiz, Ralph Nader, and Vandana Shiva. To access our complete audio and book catalog, just go to our website, AlternativeRadio.org. Again, our website where we are podcasting, AlternativeRadio.org. To place a credit card order for CDs of today's program, Craig Aaron on the future of media, and for the Noam Chomsky book, Media Control: The Achievements of Propaganda, just give us a call at one eight hundred triple four one nine seven seven. That's one 800 1977 Or you can order online on our website, alternativeradio.org. We're offering printed transcripts, PDFs, and MP3s of this program at no charge. Just call us at one 800 1977 Special thanks to Spencer Graves, the All Souls Forum, and KKFI in Kansas City, Missouri. Joe is our general manager and editor. I'm David Barsamyan. Thank you for listening. to the website, alternativeradio.org, alternativeradio.org. Uh, we too are independent and are supported solely by listeners who make donations, uh, purchase transcripts, MP3s, or CDs of our programs. So we're very much uh, dependent on listeners out there.
0: Calgary may experience a ridiculous amount of snow, but it also has CGSW, a station that broadcasts in all kinds of weather, transporting you to sunnier places when you need it. 90.9 FM, to be enjoyed at any temperature. Broadcasting on 3D7 land and on Métis Nation of Alberta, Region 3.
2: Taking the chill out of my bones In her arms it's easy to see The world laid out in front of me Don't ask why I play along She is my sky, my vagabond Won't settle down with the one we found Set our sights on higher ground We all have meaning And giving's better when receiving Well I feel your love inside my soul oh, No lacking key Our love is free Quiet eyes approaching mine Deeper than I thought I'd find coming me without a word Oh yeah, yeah No need to yell to feel hurt You ask me why I play alone She is my sky my Vagabond Won't settle down With what we found We set our sights On higher ground